Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Mountain Ground Podcast. Uh, we've got everyone on board today. Friedrich gives us very nice insight into what gegrond means to him and what it means to live unrestricted. Um, Peter chats all about coffee grind from, you know, what's the difference between a fine grind and a coarse grind. And look, I love the insight from that. And myself and Nicolette, we recently joined on the DGT Run Camp, and we'll give you a bit of an insight there. So we'll be talking caffeine, bivy bags, uh, and just what we experienced up on the mountain. Either way, sit back, make a good cup of coffee, and enjoy. We really look forward to having a chat about different topics, uh, as we've mentioned in the intro. So um, I think we'll first start off. So previously, Freda couldn't really join us. Um, he was probably busy roasting some fresh coffees or making sure that deliveries go out on time. But, uh, you know, he is with us today. And, uh, you know, I think it's it would be really nice if he can just give us a bit of a of an overview of, you know, himself and his involvement in Gogrond and what the, what the brand actually stands for for him. And, um, yeah, so we do look forward to that. So, Freda, off to you. Hello, Ella. Thanks for having me today. It's nice not to miss this podcast again. <laughs> Sorry for missing last week. I was busy roasting um, our new coffee from Timor Leste. It's an amazing coffee. I would highly recommend it. I'm not going to delve into it today, but uh, you can find more information on our website as well as our newsletter and social media. If you haven't received our newsletter, then just be sure to subscribe on Gogrond to today. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep you updated with, with new coffees and your information. Um, but yeah, Peter, before I answer your question, I'm just quickly going to introduce myself. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm Frederik Dreyer. I'm from Gegrond, one of the co-founders. I've been residing in Pretoria for the past 30 years, um, pretty much my whole life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've recently married uh, to a lovely lady called Anna Marie. And um, I love the outdoors, I love coffee, I love trail running. I um, absolutely adore the, the Dragonsburg. I feel like uh, that place is so majestic, it just makes you feel so small and just gets you grounded. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much myself. Um, then just to get back to your question about what Gegrond means for me, personally I think that's kind of developed over the years um, initially it started out as, as just a business venture and obviously um, you put a lot of uh, hours and passion into into a business so it, it kind of already has a has a big meaning in your life but um, as it carries on it becomes more personal as I could say it and it, it becomes a part of you in a sense and I think our name gegrond initially starting out it's just everyone kind of has the same meaning for gegrond as, as what we intended it to mean in the beginning but it i feel it's such a name that you can truly make your own and and i'd love to one day see that our fans and our, everyone that drinks our coffee kind of gets the same their, their own meaning for gegrond in their life um like I did and uh, yeah so starting out means being grounded and um, 
kind of has a yeah everyone knows that meaning um, and then enter our slogan of coffee for the unrestricted the the idea behind the slogan was that um, we have a certain lifestyle that we're living and if you go trail running and hiking in the mountains and and doing all of those activities you you kind of feel unrestricted and you're living unrestricted in movement and experience and um, it still has that meaning today but both of them kind of came together and formed a separate meaning for myself personally and I think like like grounded um, became very more much more specific uh, for myself it's where you're grounded in in what are you grounded in um, for myself I'm, I'm grounded in faith I'm grounded in Jesus Christ and um, I live according to those values and, and morals and then you bring in the slogan of, of living unrestricted and, and I feel that if you're living grounded if you're living according to the values of your faith um, of what you believe then automatically you will be unrestricted because anything that you would want to do you'll be allowed to do according to your values because you want to do it um, and that kind of became a big yeah it, it has a for myself it, it has a heavy meaning um, that just stay grounded and you you won't feel restricted at all with with what you want to do in life I hope that answered your question <laughs> thanks Eric. that was really um, you know thanks for sharing that with us and then uh, Pierre and Nicolette from Mountain Abandon you guys had two weeks ago had a very interesting weekend and a very what can we say very um, unexpected weekend for the Jorgensburg um, you guys had the first of three Jorgensburg Grand Traverse camps now I think I'm going to hand over to you guys to just give us a a bit of an info on what this DGT is all about. Hey, Peter. Yes. Um, so we were both on the Drakensberg Grand Traverse uh, run training camp. Um, so I guess the best place to start is just a bit of a brief uh, background on the Grand Traverse. So it's basically just a, well, I guess a hike, run, whatever you want to call it or do, <laughs> from the northern part of the escarpment to the southern section of the escarpment so it requires you to start at the sentinel car park um, to go up the chain ladders and summit a couple of peaks which have been set out if you want to do a fkt attempt basically so it's montessorsis cleft peak champagne castle mafari which is also the highest peak in south africa then Giants Castle and Tabana and Liana, which is the highest peak in Lesotho and also the highest peak south of Kilimanjaro. Um, you didn't need to descend via Tamatu Pass and down to Bushman's Neck car park. So that's roughly, let's call it 200 to 220 kilometers um, worth of um, Drakensberg escarpment. Um, depending on your route, there's different sections it's a free route basically as long as you tag those peaks you can move in between them whichever way you want to um so it's really that's why i love it so much it's just you know it's just so stimulating there's really you know the from a fitness point of view to a mental point of view 
nutrition, hydration, and then obviously who's got the best route. And then I think more importantly, which we realized on this camp again, is just how difficult it is when the weather doesn't go your way. Um, you know, underfoot conditions, is ex it's extremely wet up there at the moment. And it's that fine balance between temperature, because in, in winter, obviously, the temperatures go, you know, sub-zero. We did a winter traverse in May last year, and the highest temperature we ever recorded during day was five and some nights it went well below 10 um, then in summer you've got the thunderstorms and just such adverse weather it just makes it really it's more difficult almost for me to be up there in summer as because you, you, a lot of times you just can't see anything either so on this camp especially we we took the guys up Masuba Super Pass and from there we got by the Pitsaneng we got onto the Grand Traverse route made our way to Sandleni Cave. But all that time, you know, you have like 10, 10 meters visibility. At times it just really locks in and the underfoot conditions was challenging just because it's so, so, so wet. Um, and look, at Sandleni Cave, we did have a really, really nice, we just get together, um, got some drier stuff on, made some food and then just discussed, you know, this is what it is like up there. And all the lessons that we can learn from moving up in the Berg is really invaluable. Like me and Nicolette have been moving there for the last for like six years. And every time we go up, we just learn new things. And I try to talk to as many, I guess, adventurers as possible to find out, you know, what advice they have for how I can improve my experience every time I go up. Um and the camp was just that. It was just another really good experience showing us how difficult the conditions are up on the escarpment. Anyway, but before I go down some philosophical street here now, um, I'm going to hand over to Nicolette and she'll explain or share more of what she experienced on the camp. Obviously, we were part of the camp in a guiding capacity. So we were responsible for leading the group, safety, etc., but um, we've obviously noticed a lot of things on the camp and um, from, you know, what route we followed and what we did. I'll just let Nicolette take over from here. Thank you, Pierre. Um, firstly, it was fantastic just to be back up in the mountains again. The Drakensberg is probably our favorite place to be. And over the past five years, we've done so many trips I can't remember. Um, stopped counting. But with work and life just getting in the way a little bit, we haven't been up since December. So now it was amazing just to be out there again. Some of the things we, we noticed where I feel we can share for other interested athletes, um, for if you're doing the DGT run or just looking to go out into the Berg by yourself. Um, a lot of athletes don't bother to take a map, a map and a compass up. Now, obviously, these are compulsory items for the DGT run, but it's really good to practice with them on your average hike or run in the Berg before the DGT. So not just blue line following. This is quite a big problem that we see often is athletes have a nice GPX file, which they load onto their watch and they follow the blue line and everything is all right until they, you know, the weather pulls in and they actually go off the blue line and they get lost or they need to detour away from the blue line for some or other you know, unforeseen circumstances. And, but they have no idea where they are. So 
just having a map and compass in these circumstances can allow you to plot your position and navigate, take a bearing and get yourself to a safe place. And this is something that's a little bit lacking in modern um, hiking and running groups in the Berg. That's what one of the things we've noticed. Yeah, and then just to add to Nicolette's very valid point there, it's like we always think, you know, we load the blue line on our watches and we're just going to follow this thing. But I can promise you when things do go <laughs> wrong up there, you start distrusting it. Um, unless you've built that route yourself, which like, you know, after five years of moving up there, I've built the route, a route that I trust. Hence, I will follow that blue line. But in the beginning, I can remember one of our trips in 2019. I, I just got so off that line because you didn't trust it. It doesn't look right, basically. What you're seeing on your watch and what you're seeing out there is just not the same. And because you have no idea where you are, you've got complete, complete lack uh, or loss of situational awareness. Um, it's very quick, actually, just to get your GPS coordinates off your watch or off the GPS that's a mandatory um, part in the DGT run event and you just plot it on a map and then you know okay cool I'm in this area or I'm between this and this river or these high points and then you already just know where you are and that just makes you feel just so much better where if you're just wandering in the mist for hours like things never end well that way yeah exactly um, and then the second thing that I thought I'd mention is the distribution of weight between packs. So for the DGT run, obviously it's a paired event. And between the two of you, it's very important to make sure that you not necessarily carry the same weight exactly, but have a few items that you can switch between your partners um, or yourself and your partner depending on who's feeling stronger and who's feeling weaker. So Pierre and I do this quite a lot and it works both ways, but you might be on a very long climb and suddenly one of you is feeling awful and just wants to sit the whole time. And then it's easy to take out the gas canister or the tent or the bivy bag and give it to the other person if it's nice and accessible. And it's amazing what switching over that small amount of weight does for your physical and your mental ability so that's really important i think for especially a long event um, like the dgt run or adventure racing is to make sure that your packs are suitable firstly in terms of their weight um, every gram does unfortunately count they all add up and then just have a few items that you can share between the two of you Then the last thing I want to touch on, just based on this camp in particular, there were unfortunately no females that joined. So this is quite a big um, topic for me, just you know, moving in the Berg like I do and seeing very few other women or girls out there. I know there's the safety aspect, which can be a bit daunting. So I always advise going with at least one male partner. Um, that is the just the reality of our you know the world probably but it would be great to see more females joining on trips like these there's definitely no physical limitation when it comes to ultra endurance events of of this length you know women are probably stronger than guys and we moved really slow the purpose of the camps is not to cover distance or stay on the route it's to experience the berg hike up there actually experience as much of the 
Berg conditions as possible. So the longer you're out there, the better. Um, so that's why it's, there's nothing fast about it. And I just want to encourage all women out there who enjoy the mountains and enjoy hiking or running, trail running, to consider joining on one of the camps or another camp or contacting us for a hike or just something in the mountains because we really want to grow a love of the berg especially in the female community where it's currently quite lacking so yeah don't be scared to to give us a shout or message me instagram anywhere and i'll get back to you Thanks, Nicolette. That's such a powerful message. And um, I would hope that uh, female participation on these camps and, um, you know, on, not only on these camps, but on future, um, exp- <laughs> I don't know if expeditions is the right word, but malicious expeditions, um, you know, would be uh, joining in. So just again, like the part of the route that you guys did, can you quickly run us through the part of the camp that you guys um I did uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, so on this route, um, or this camp, this was the Sani camp. So we did go from uh, the hotel at the bottom. Uh, we went up Masubasuba Pass, so it's like a big climb. Um, all the way to Sandleni. I explained earlier that we had a nice stop there. And then from there, we went into the night. So it was, you know, still raining, obviously. <laughs> so it was more wet weather gear on. I think by this stage, I had two waterproofs on. And uh, headlights were on, and we headed into the night. And here, especially the navigation became quite tricky because you get zoned out quite easily when you're in the just in the mist, basically, and you just have a string of lights behind you or in front of you. Um, so we made our way across. Um, the plan was to get to Mzamudi Cave, where we'll then have a quick uh, sleep, just to show all the athletes as well, like what is the procedure? You know, how do we do it? Like especially when you're wet, you can't get to your cave and stand around you know you need to get your wet stuff off immediately and get dry kit on and into your bivy bag you don't want to stand around in the elements and just hang about because it can happen very easily when you're tired um, so we got to Mzamudi cave and here we actually all of us used the bivy bag called the rad bag uh, it's a, i loved it there's a ronald jessup a really good adventure racer so he designed the bag um, we've got two versions, like a heavier one and a race version, which is a bit of a lighter bag. So I actually had the heavier one, and I must say I found the sleep quite comfortable. But I, I honestly think this probably deserves a, a podcast on its own. So I don't want to go too much into this itself now. But this is also where we had coffee. And uh, thank you for sponsoring the, the coffee for the camp, because we ca- carried AeroPresses up and... Uh, the coffee was was loaded in the AeroPress, and we, you know, we had a good cup of coffee when we woke woke up in Zamudi Cave. We slept only for about two hours, but it's just nice to you know, get a bit of a shut eye and relax a bit, and especially just get dry kit on. That makes a big mental change. And then from there, you know, we went up. There's a little short climb up there, and then across and to Isakatula Pass. Down Iskatula Pass, uh, went round Tabangwangwe around the back, and then it's just to the top of Tomatu Pass, and we went down Tomatu to Bushman's Neck. So we finished in beautiful conditions, and there I could see like the difference. You know, always the sunrise makes the difference. You know, we probably spent about 16, 17 hours in the rain, and then, you know, waking up, seeing that sun come up. And finishing the last stretch in full sunshine, it's just such a big mental gain. 
and it's really it's, it's just wonderful to see and i think that could really be one of the tricks in your bag you know if you're going through the night and you're struggling here at three or four o'clock just to remember the sun comes up and you're going to be smiling again <laughs> wow yeah that sounds yeah that sounds quite epic and uh from your background uh noise i can definitely hear the weather has been following you around a bit um so it's for those who are wondering they're not in ukraine they are um it's it's the weather <laughs> they are in a in a thunderstorm at the moment they dropped me a line before uh we did this podcast so um so yeah they're definitely i guess adding that remote element to our podcast uh but yeah sounds great and uh i won't lie i'm sitting here and i am a bit jealous i won't lie <laughs> that sounds really hard but it sounds like one of those uh, experiences where you learn a lot and you gain the confidence to go into the berg so um yeah well done guys and um you know uh yeah maybe i can uh join in for one of those training camps in the near future um, so, you know, it, it does get me thinking about gear and um, <laughs> obviously the, the, you know, the importance of gear and sometimes, you know, these waterproof uh, jackets and, and all the rest can become quite expensive. But it's also, you know, it does make an impact on your enjoyment uh, of, of, of the experience. And the same with coffee, you know, um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like something like grinding coffee. You know, a good quality grinder, how that impacts the flavor of the coffee and the extraction, having that consistent uh, grind. Um, so, yeah, it definitely, um, it does have an impact on the quality of, of the ultimate uh, cup of coffee. Yeah, and I really love the um, comparison between, or, you know, the example of the difference between a, a good or decent cup of coffee and a really great kind of cup of coffee you know it's like same in the berg if you have you know adequate gear you might have a decent trip if it's bad weather but if you have the appropriate and the best gear well you're gonna have a bloody amazing trip you know or hopefully so it's the same it seems with the coffee if you do prepare it properly and you have the correct grind size and everything you know you could really i think just it's the difference between a decent cup and an amazing cup and look, over the years, I have done one or two coffee roasting and coffee uh, a barista course as a birthday present once. And I did become a bit of a coffee snob. <laughs> I know it's a bad connotation, but I'm quite proud of it. Anyway, um, but that was my thing with the AeroPress. I definitely had the idea I'm not doing it the correct and proper way. So I would love if you could just give us a bit of a breakdown at some point on, you know, it could obviously be in a future podcast, but just how to correctly... Well, select your coffee, grind the beans, and prepare an AeroPress because I think it's an amazing tool. It's definitely the best adventure, quality adventure coffee tool, I'd say. So I'm very keen to explore the AeroPress more, and hopefully, you know, with your guidance, I can actually make a great cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, with the AeroPress, I agree. We can maybe have a whole uh, separate podcast for the AeroPress. Um, I think. You know, one thing I can focus on today is a little bit about the grind size, um, like grinding your coffee to the correct coarseness uh, for the uh, method of brewing that you're using. Um, I, I'll definitely touch a bit on the AeroPress. I am quite passionate about it. And, um, you know, big shout out there to Friedrich who got those AeroPresses uh, 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 down to you guys on time. And um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, thanks, Frick. 
um but yeah so we can just before we go into that question there was just something that i I had a bit of thought about and that's specifically to do with the space blanket so um i have been diligently always carrying my space blanket around but i'm sure you know um, i haven't been in a situation where it was really needed to keep warm but um, just thinking off the top of my head what the other usage of a space blanket could be um, and especially like uh, where you guys found yourself on the training camp uh, what other uses are there for that specific space blanket that you can maybe uh, you know that we can use it on future adventures yes so Pierre mentioned the bivy bag but space blanket is also obviously um, essential for all mountain or sporting events, really. And one of the interesting things is that it's not just a, a piece of foil that you need to keep in your bag for an emergency, like a broken leg or someone fell off a cliff. These are race organizers' favorite examples of extreme um, accidents. But no, we've used the space blanket quite nicely in the Berg for sleeping at night, so using it like a ground sheet to keep us dry um, below our sleeping bags and it also gives a little bit of an insulating layer um, between you and the ground so reflecting the cold back into the ground reflecting your heat upwards back to you and then in misty conditions or some of the caves which have a lot of drips the space blanket can also act as a waterproof shield on the top so placing that over our sleeping bags on the top has been quite successful as well so Yeah, space blanket, it really is essential in more than just uh, emergency capacity. And I think it's an underused piece of equipment. And it actually has a lot of value as a comfort item as well. Well, now we can. uh, Thanks for that, Nicolette. That was was really insightful. And um, yeah, it definitely gave me a few ideas uh, for future um, adventures. Um, so getting back to Pierre's question, um, I mean the AeroPress, like I said, that is a can of worms and we'll definitely touch on that in, in future episodes and a bit on that in this specific one. Uh, but what I would like to embed and maybe a concept that I would like to explain today is the, the whole notion of grinding your coffee to the correct coarseness. Um, so I would like to sketch a bit of an image um, to try and explain how coarse uh, or sorry how grinding impacts the extraction of coffee. So imagine you have a fizzy a tablet that you need to dissolve in water. Okay. Now take that whole tablet and um, just you know just plunk it into a uh, glass of water and uh, wait for it to dissolve. Okay. Now take that same tablet, but break it up into four or five little pieces and throw that into your glass of water. I'm sure you'll observe that it would be dissolving in the water a lot quicker if it's been broken up into different smaller portions. And the reason for that is that you've increased um, the area with which the tablet is in contact with the water. And that same principle applies when you're extracting coffee. So your grind size, depending on how quickly you want your coffee to be extracted, you need to change and alter your uh, the coarseness of your coffee grind. So, so obviously, when you look at the different methods, from let's start with let's start with espresso, which is the most finest grind. Um, they have different 
you know, it only takes, say, 23 seconds to extract it. So if you have a short extraction time and you have pressure and you have other elements that you introduce. So the time that the water is in contact with that coffee grind is very little. So you want the maximum amount of extraction in that instance. But on the other end of the ex uh, extremities is a method called cold brew, which is your most coarse grind, your coarsest grind, and that you basically use to extract coffee. And that specific method has uh, no other elements to extract the coffee added, like for example, pressure or temperature. You basically put it in the fridge and, you know, with uh, X amount of time, which is 15 to 17 hours, you extract the coffee. So, you know, like that's the two, I think, extremities. The time that the coffee bean is in contact with the water on the one end espresso which is very little and the other end with cold brew which is a really long time and you know you you do manage that accordingly so i think a question we usually get asked is what grind do i need for my um for my specific method of of brewing coffee so at the moment at Gegrond, we have the espresso grind which is you know that goes without saying that's more lenient towards the you know espresso machine which you apply a bit of pressure and then we have the filter grind which can be a bit more versatile you can use it for the air press you can use it for um you know you can use it for a few different like uh, french press um you can use it for mocha, mocha pot so um that's the more versatile grind uh, that we have on our on our website um, but if you do have a coffee grinder, you know, we always say, uh, you know, coffee beans should always be fleshy ground uh, because the oils and aromas unlocked from the grinding process um, degrades quite quickly. And therefore, grinding it fresh, it does have an impact on, um, you know, the flavor of the coffee. Um, but we do appreciate that, um, you know, it's not always possible and therefore, you know, we do pre-grind uh, the coffee for you. Um, so, I mean, like, if you do have the opportunity to get a grinder, we would always be recommending um, or mostly recommending a burr grinder uh, versus a blade grinder. Uh, <laughs> that's also something that we've been, that we've been asked in the past um, and you know uh, the thing about the blade grinder is it does it does tend to grind the coffee very unequally so um, you know you, you you do struggle to get the consistent size of the uh, it does struggle to basically consistently grind the coffee to the um, uniform size I would say um, so yeah so that's basically I'm not going to delve into that too much uh, but so just to recap, um, in terms of, you know, which grind size you should be using. Um, so basically at the, like I've mentioned, espresso, most finest grind. And in the middle is basically a filter grind, which is the equivalent of granulated uh, table salt. So if you take granulated uh, table salt and you do a comparison, that's basically a filter grind there. And then as you move more coarse, that would typically be something like you would use in a cupping session, which is tasting coffee um, for a, yeah, so that, and then obviously the more coarse is the cold brew. 
and then a medium course which would typically be used in a chemex um, and then the medium course which i've just mentioned the same as a granulated uh, table salt that would be used for a drip uh, or, or filter and then um, a medium to fine is more for a pour over um, and then uh, some people say that you use a very fine a finer grind for the aeropress uh, in the past i haven't really used a very fine uh, grind for an aeropress um, i'll explain the reasons for that when i explain the the, the aeropress um, you know preparing and extracting aeropress but yeah i mean like we do get asked a lot in terms of you know what's the correct uh, grind size for the method of preparation as we've explained you know we've given you a bit of a guidance there but you know i think as a as a first principle you know you should be altering your grind to to get that cup of coffee that you really enjoy and you know if you find your coffee being more on a soury um, then what you would, you might prefer then you know it's there might be um, it might be as a result of your coffee being uh, grind it a bit more on the core side so the coffee is underdeveloped you say the coffee is underdeveloped and you know you can you can counter that by by basically grinding your coffee a bit more fine uh, or finer <laughs> so and then on the on the flip end of the spectrum you know if you find that your coffee has a very very prominent bitterness to it you know um, maybe try and grinding your coffee a bit more granular um, or a bit more coarse sorry <laughs> a bit more coarse and um, you know see if that um, alters the flavor more towards something that you prefer so um, yeah that's pretty much uh, in a nutshell what we would encourage uh, our listeners okay so now to get back to Pierre's question on the aeropress um, you know the aeropress does add different elements of extracting coffee uh, you can apply pressure you can agitate the coffee so there's definitely a bit more to the aeropress than with other more standard methods of brewing um, a principle to, to know if your grind size is correct is that I usually um, the amount of pressure that I apply is just the weight of my forearm um, with my other arm crossed uh, uh, basically that my two forearms crossed um, over one another and then I apply that weight of my forearms to the to uh, basically push down the aeropress. Um, that should be more than sufficient for you to um, to basically, yeah, like I said, push down the aeropress. If you find yourself applying a bit more pressure, a uh, substantial amount of more pressure, then you know your grind is probably more on the fine side, um, and I'd recommend grinding it a bit more coarse. So, I mean, the the beauty of the aeropress is that you want to be very smooth in terms of you don't want to force the extraction i think that's what i'm trying to get to so if you apply this method you should be pretty much getting a very smooth and um, yeah a very smooth and delicious cup of coffee so uh pierre i hope <laughs> i hope that explains it a bit more but yeah i think we can definitely have a a, a complete podcast on its own to ex to use the aeropress because uh, you can definitely there's so many ways you can alter your extraction 
Sure, thanks, Peter. Uh, I really enjoyed the little, I guess, method on how to actually use AeroPress with regards to how much pressure it needs to be plunged. Because typical, you know, our mindsets of ultra runners is usually more is better, you know, more miles, more fun. Um, and I always just applied that to coffee pressure as well. You know, the more pressure, the better. So <laughs> I always thought the AeroPress had to like really struggle to plunge. Because obviously we use an espresso machine at home and you've got a lot of pressure there and like it's a fine grind. And I always thought that's, you know, you need to extract every little bit out of the coffee. So now I'll definitely apply a new technique to my AeroPress uh, method. And I'm sure the, the coffee is going to improve quite a lot then. So no, sure. Thanks for that. Well, I don't know about you, Pierre, but for me, that coffee up on the mountain, there was nothing to complain about. So the AeroPress, uh, regardless of its pressure, was doing a fantastic job. Uh, thanks a lot, Peter, for sending um, that coffee along in the AeroPress. It was much, much appreciated. Um, for me, one of the important things of moving through the night is to get some caffeine and just to stay awake. Um, I'm not really a, a nighttime person. I quite enjoy moving in my daylight hours. So going into the night is quite daunting for me. And I think for a lot of ultra runners, the night section of a 100k or 100 miler is the most scary aspect. So maybe in a future podcast, we can actually talk a little bit about caffeine and its use um, in performance and specifically staying awake on something like the DGT. That's a great uh, suggestion, Nicolette. I think um, you know, we can definitely um, work something like that into future podcasts. Uh, I mean, for if you're listening into this podcast, uh, please feel free to, to send us a, a message on either Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, we'd really like to, to make sure that you know, we give the listeners or discuss at least topics of relevance. Um, so yeah, please, please reach out to us. Um, as always, <laughs> this was quite a, a jam-packed uh, session or uh, podcast. And um, you know, thanks for everyone dialing in and have a great week. Thanks so much for joining on this week's episode of the Mountain Ground Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any of the episodes, making sure that you stay caffeinated and keen for adventures.